You're listening to And Then Some, a conversation with diverse thought leaders across sectors and the media, where we explore strategic communications, current trends, and how they impact us all. This podcast is presented by Solomon McCown and Sensi, an award-winning, fully integrated PR and government relations agency. This is And Then Some. Hi, everyone. I'm TJ Winnick. And I'm Reva Chessis, and this is And Then Some. Reva, before we get started, first of all, let me officially welcome you back from maternity leave. Uh, you know, your your guest hosts uh, did a terrific job, but it is good to have you back uh, in the co-hosting seat. Thank you, TJ. It is great to be back. So tell me, what is life like as a working mom? You know, life as a working mom is challenging, but worth it every minute. It is just amazing that I get to call myself a mom officially. I'm still wrapping my head around that, to be quite honest. There's like a lot of big milestone things happening for me this year. I had a baby. I'm turning 30 in a month. It's a lot, but it's really all great. I feel very, very blessed. That's great to hear. Great to have you back again. So the real reason we're here today is the highly accomplished president and chief operating officer of MassBio, Kendall Berlin O'Connell. Throughout her tenure at MassBio, Kendall has played a crucial role in the growth of MassBio's membership, supporting its expansion to become the largest life sciences trade association in the world with more than 1,500 members. In fact, she was named a 2019 Boston Business Journal 40 Under 40 honoree for her contributions to the healthcare industry in Massachusetts. She currently serves as a member of the board of directors for the Massachusetts Biotechnology Education Foundation and the New England chapter of the March of Dimes. She really does so much. And there's a ton that we have to discuss with her. So let's go and get right into the interview. Kendall, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really appreciate you taking the time. TJ, Reva, thank you so much for having me. Really thrilled to be here with you. So let us ask, you have risen up through the ranks at MassBio. You joined the company in 2008 as Director of Purchasing and Strategic Alliance to being named President and COO in 2019. So predictably, as a PR firm, you know we're interested in how you've leveraged strong communication to advance your career. Yeah, TJ, like anything, I mean, you're only as good as your ability to effectively communicate. And that's in anything, right? That's in the workplace. That's in your marriage. That's with your friend group. But certainly, I think as somebody who was looking to move up the ranks, you know, and I had no idea when I started at MassBio in 2008 that I'd be the president of the organization one day. But You always have to effectively and transparently communicate and say what you want. And I actually just had a conversation with someone on the team here, a younger woman who was asking about how did you sort of navigate your career within MassBio? And I always love to tell this story. My first day at MassBio, and I was a practicing attorney before I came into the world of life sciences, and I knew little to nothing about the industry. So I was really thrown into the fire, if you will. And there was a woman here who was um, hired as a consultant in the interim period. She's very seasoned in the industry. And my first day, and I remember what I wore, I had this like beautiful Brooks Brothers suit on. And I was like, okay, I'm ready for the job, right? I've got a lot of energy, enthusiastic. And she looks at me and she said, you're not the right person for the job. You have no industry experience. I don't know why they hired you. What a welcome. Yes, thank you. Yeah, lovely to be here. Nice to meet you too. But that always sort of stuck in my mind because I was having to 
I guess, prove myself as anybody does in a new job. And so part of that was effectively communicating to management. This is the value proposition I bring. I don't know about the industry, but I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and immerse myself and learn and and pound the pavement, get out to our member companies, right? These labs with scientists who are so passionate what they do and listen, then also take that and figure out what is my path and what is my journey. And so Within six months, I was able to negotiate a very substantial agreement as part of the purchasing consortium at that time. And so, again, it was just kind of trying to effectively communicate what is my value within the organization as I'm working my way up. What attracted you to the position, if if we could ask? Yeah, it was just something that was new and different. And I think that that's a good message for people, too. Sometimes we get so hung up on, well, this is my skill set, and I don't know if I can do this because I don't know biotechnology. But listen, I was a practicing attorney. I have a very translatable skill set. And it was a completely new world for me. I was practicing estate planning and elder law. So to think about being in a fast-paced, cutting-edge life-changing industry was so exciting to me, but it was also really intimidating. These people are the smartest of the smart. And how do I effectively hold a conversation when they're doing a deep dive into science? But it wasn't just about educating myself so I could at least stand up and hone in on the buzzwords that we were talking about. And it's funny, you know, when you think about that now, and this is why I love my journey personally, because it's really symbolic for anybody who's thinking about like, how do I navigate a career? How do I break into life sciences? To think that I'm now positioned as a thought leader in the industry, it's because I was willing to do the work, effective communication. And as you're an executive with an organization, now you're communicating with your team, with your board externally, what's the message of the organization? So you really have to be thoughtful about that because it's slightly nuanced to every audience that you're speaking with. Absolutely. And I mean, certainly as a PR firm, those nuances are are kind of our bread and butter. So we understand just how important that is. Talking a little bit about audiences, uh, at the end of 2021, MassBio put out the State of Racial, Ethnic, and Gender Diversity Report, which provided the first of its kind data on Massachusetts-specific life science workforce demographics, including gender, race, ethnicity, et cetera. So what we're curious, is it that MassBio is doing for its members and the industry at large to ensure that diversity, equity, inclusion in hiring practices is prominent and how important is strategic communication in achieving that goal? You know, Reva, as a woman leader at the organization, I'm so proud to work at a place where we lead around diversity, equity, inclusion. And so we were really the first trade organization in the world to bring on a director of DNI five years ago. And that is obviously that role has become so important and so entrenched in so many companies. So this report that we conducted and data-driven report, which I love, right, that sets a foundation that we can see that's measurable and actionable, was a follow-on to a CEO pledge letter that we put out to our membership community in August of 2020. And what that letter was asking of our CEOs is to stand by six key pillars of diversity, equity, and inclusion and to lead from the top down. So when we think about communicating, this is what was so important. You are telling your community, your your staff, that you are committed to ensuring that your company is representing DEI throughout every milestone 
within that growth trajectory of that company. And that is really the key to this. So what we work with our members to do, and we represent such a broad audience in the life sciences, right? 1,500 member organizations. So your smallest startup, your largest biopharma, and really everything in between. We wanted to make sure regardless of your size, you could start to create meaningful impact as it relates to DNI within your organization. And so maybe that's a DNI mission statement to say to your team, this is a priority. Maybe it's an employment satisfaction survey to say, what do you think our company culture is like and how can we continue to improve on that? These are things that are very achievable for any size company. And of course, we can continue to build on those. This, so this report, was an update. Where are you? Your company pledged, committed to a pledge in the CEO letter. Where are you? Where are we tracking? And so it's a baseline, right? We will continue to survey our members on a two-year cadence. But what we saw was incremental improvement, which is a positive. We don't need to say, oh, I had hoped for more. It means that these companies are committing and instituting actionable change. Of course, there's so much work to do, but what MassBio is committed to doing is providing pathways for these companies, again, no matter where they are in their growth cycle, to say, we are committed to DNI. It is a priority. It is a business priority. And me as CEO, I'm committed to that. And therefore, all of us are committed to that. I ask too, because obviously communication goes both ways. What's the response that you've been hearing from those, you know, others in the industry who you've been working with? checking their pulse on, you know, how have they responded to the support and to the help? I think within our life science community, they're so committed to DNI, but they need pathways, right? How do we do this? Particularly for those small companies, there's so much happening. They're trying to get funding. They're trying to meet various scientific milestones. They want to do this, but how do they do this? They just, you know, maybe have a five-person staff, mostly scientists. So for us to be able to provide these really tangible focus areas that we can continue to grow on and we'll work with you on that, I think has been incredibly well-received. And then outside of the industry, we're really seen as a leader around this. I've had so many conversations, you know, supplier diversity is part of what we've implemented with these six core focus areas. And this applies not just the life science industry, any industry. So I've had so many conversations with leaders outside of life sciences that are saying, this is awesome. I love what you guys are doing. Would you mind talking with my team? Because we'd love to implement something similar to this and listen. That's what it's about. It's about communicating. It's about sharing what we do. This isn't proprietary. We want everyone to be prioritizing DNI within their organization, regardless of what industry we're in. And we talked about MassBio being a thought leader as well. You know, we reviewed the 2021 industry snapshot of yours, which identified housing, transportation, and childcare as challenges for finding talent to fill new roles in the biopharma industry. So what is MassBio doing from a policy and a communication standpoint to, to tackle these challenges? Yeah, TJ. So the industry snapshot was pretty remarkable from a funding perspective and for somebody who's been at MassBio and in the industry for, you know, 13 years now, it was truly record-breaking investment that's coming into Massachusetts headquartered companies, which is so, so exciting and brings so much opportunity. 
But counter to that is there's some real challenges that the industry faces if we want to stay the best place in the world for life sciences. And so one of those at the core is obviously workforce talent. And that is why actually just going back to our last um, conversation around D&I, it's so important that we continue to recruit in an inclusive and diverse way because that is, we are going to have, you know, 40,000 new jobs that we need to fill and we need everybody within the Commonwealth to be excited about the opportunities in the life science industry. So in addition to that sort of talent gap, the other core issues And this isn't unique to life sciences, but of course, as you mentioned, our infrastructure, right? So transportation, childcare, housing, and no matter where I go and who I talk to, these are similar challenges. I think life sciences is a little unique because if you're a scientist, you have to be in the lab. There's no such thing as remote work, right? So transportation is a huge, huge issue. And being in Kendall Square right now, so Cambridge, Boston, we know this. I live in Haverhill. Pre-COVID, I was commuting two hours each way. That's real. That wasn't a joke. So four hours a day of my life, I was in my car just trying to get to the office. Now, obviously, some of that was relieved through COVID and I was shooting in, in an hour, but that's coming back, right? It's an hour and a half for me. And so these issues are, are just so critical to the retention of employees here in Massachusetts, recruitment of employees, right? We know Massachusetts, traffic, not ideal weather. I mean, expensive to live in, but it's important that we have these conversations with all the key stakeholders. So something MassBio is committed to is having roundtables with leaders, right? Leaders within industry, leaders outside of industry, right? In government and academia to to brainstorm, what can we do to improve these issues? Another real focus for this industry is moving outside of Boston and Cambridge. That's key to the future success and recruitment of new employees into the industry. So we have to take a regionalized approach. And we know there's some really exciting life sciences hubs throughout the Commonwealth. Think about Worcester. Think about uh, Woburn, Burlington. Waltham, of course. And we want to extend that even further. Again, I'm from Haverhill. So we want to go to Haverhill and Lawrence. We want to go to Western Mass. In order to do that, though, we need to have some of these key infrastructure solutions, right? We can go to Haverhill, but if we don't have childcare solutions for lab employees that might have to work on a 24-hour schedule, they're not going to be able to work in our industry. So these are Very real issues, very time sensitive issues. And the best we can do is have open conversation and work in a collaborative way, public private way to come up with solutions. And you say time sensitive because the the way the industry is exploding and development is happening. Yeah. We the, the development activity that we are seeing right now is like nothing I've ever seen. Again, in a decade and a half, right? Our industry snapshot that came out in August of 2021, 20 million square feet of lab and manufacturing development in the pipeline between 2021 and 2023-2024. That's remarkable. I mean, remarkable for what that can mean for the economy here in Massachusetts, but these challenges are very real. That's great. We can put lab space everywhere, but if we don't have housing for people to live in, how are we ever going to recruit 
employees outside of Massachusetts. So that's what I mean when it's time sensitive. We need short-term solutions. And obviously these are bigger issues. We need long-term solutions. A hundred percent. They they go hand in hand. And I want to just focus on the growth that we're talking about within the life science industry for a minute and ask what factors do you think have contributed the most to the exceptional growth of the industry since you, you know, you've mentioned you've been at MassBio for over a decade and obviously you've seen a lot of that growth. And how have you seen major players in the industry use strategic communication to support those expansions? And I'm curious about this because there's obviously a pre-pandemic and during pandemic aspect. I mean, obviously things are are continuing to explode. It's not just from the pandemic. It was happening way before, but I'm, I'm curious also if there are any differences there. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite stories to tell. And you're so right. There's a pre-pandemic story and there's a in the pandemic and then post-pandemic story. So when I started at MassBio in 2008, As a membership organization, we had about 400 members. And to think that we now have 1,500 members, think about that growth. And it's so representative of the ecosystem here in Massachusetts. And there are a few key reasons why we've seen this growth. But the most prominent is certainly the relationship between industry, government, and academia. Massachusetts put a stake in the ground to commit to life sciences and become a leader through the life science initiative that was first written in 2008. So talk about communication. That meant the industry had to clearly articulate the value that they bring to the Massachusetts economy to get government to listen and then invest in the growth of the industry. And certainly academia played a key role in this. They had to listen and say, okay, we are committed to putting curriculum together to ensure that Massachusetts is educating the best and brightest in the life sciences space. That investment that Massachusetts made was focused really around company creation. So when you look at our ecosystem here, and this is what I love so much about Massachusetts life sciences, we are made up of the most robust early stage biotech ecosystem anywhere in the world. That means these companies are the ones that are doing that risky breakthrough novel science. And what used to be sort of solution-based science is now curative science. It's incredible. And because we have such a robust early stage biotech ecosystem, we've been able to recruit 18 of the top 20 biopharma companies to have a physical presence here in Massachusetts. These are all the, the key ingredients to this recipe of success. Now, Let's look at what is happening through COVID. 95 Massachusetts headquartered companies pivoted their science to focus on COVID-related research, whether that was a diagnostic, therapeutic, or a vaccine. Within 12 months, we had three vaccines available for use. This is incredible. The typical timeline of bringing a drug to market was 10 years and a billion dollars to think what we can do when we concentrate resources is incredible. And when you take that and you pivot that to other disease areas, think about what we could do for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancer. We have the ability to do that here. It's just about making sure we have concentrated resources to do it. And so from a communication standpoint, Massachusetts has to tell this story. What we do here is incredible. It's life-changing. And we need to make sure we maintain an environment 
that we can do this innovative research and development. In, in terms of the vaccines that were created in record time by your own members, you know, what do you think was done well and how they were promoted to the general public? You know, what can the industry do differently when marketing future breakthroughs and innovations? Yeah, well, TJ, I think what happened because of COVID is for the first time in a very long time in history, everybody, no matter who you are, where you're from, how much money you had, knew what it was like to live with an unmet medical need. And so this is something that patients have to deal with every single day. I think that was such a strong message, right? What are we going to do? We don't have a solution. And it was the life science industry that was able to step up and change the course of human health through these vaccines, get us on a trajectory to be back to normal life, what life was like in February of 2020. I mean, this is remarkable. And I think that's where the communication comes in. What this industry does is life-changing. These men and women that work in the industry go to work every day to bring a solution to patients. And for a long time, we weren't great at telling that story. But now people understand that story. And that is really a catalyst for that incredible record-breaking investment that we'd seen because people were so excited and so interested in what the life science industry can truly do. Communication around those stories has really reminded everyone not to take those things for granted. Definitely. And, you know, Reva, one time someone said this to me, and I think it should be the life science industry in Massachusetts slogan. Where do you go for hope? Massachusetts is where you go for hope if you're a patient. And that is such an important message. And it's so profound for us to have to live up to that. But the men and women that work in this industry are so incredibly passionate about bringing solutions to patients. This is their life's work. And so it is important that we communicate that story. Absolutely. We've taken a lot of your time. We have one final question for you. And this kind of goes more generally to you know where you're at in your career currently. We want to know what advice you might have for women who have their sights set on the C-suite? So my advice for women is it's going to be a tough journey. As a woman leader, you're going to have to work harder than everyone around you. That's just the way it is. Hopefully that will change. But right now that's the case. You've got to put in longer hours and you have to make some real sacrifices, right? Not that everyone doesn't, but women particularly. As a woman that has two small children, part of my job, right, is being in early. I have evening events and and they certainly sacrifice as part of that. But that's the understanding that we have, you know, with my husband and in my, I'm fortunate to have that village that you hear, that cliche, it takes a village. And I'm so fortunate to have that. But those are sacrifices that I have to balance all of the time. You also need to be strong in your ability and your convictions. And that's so hard, right? We always second guess, what is my ability? What is my worth here? But you can't let anyone know that. You have to be strong and be a great cheerleader, right? I love with my team giving them positive feedback, but I also hold them very accountable. They know when I'm looking for work product, I expect best in class work product every single time because that's what you're going to get from me. So it is a journey. It's not always an easy journey, but it is certainly worth it. 
It has been so rewarding to be able to lead this organization, MassBio, to have this incredible team that work at MassBio, and more importantly, this amazing community of members, these life science companies that are doing just the most impressive work that I could ever think of. And I'm so grateful to be part of this. Kendall, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. It's been informative, educational, and um, we can't thank you enough again for taking some time. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been a really fun conversation. And to our listeners out there, thanks for joining us for another episode of And Then Some. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on future conversations. And if you've enjoyed this conversation or previous episodes, let us know by leaving a review and following us on social media, Solomon McCowan Sensi on Instagram and at Solomon McCowan on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. We'll see you soon.